Welcome to the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. Tom, you out there? That's a lovely turn of phrase. That's a oh, dude. You're you're quoting our one of our favorite unknown characters. We've never discussed Wally Brando ever, so we're about to discuss him <laughs> in part four. A review of part four. Got any thoughts for today, Tom? Uh, yeah, just a couple of thoughts that uh, we spoke just briefly before we uh, we started the the podcast, <laughs> and we we can't at least I can't stop thinking about the end of the series. I've got some crazy new theories from watching part 17 and part 18 again that How I many think times did you watch the ending this week did you watch the ending again well la- okay so I think I, I watched 17 and 18 complete episodes and then just tonight I watched the beginning of part 18 and then the scene in part two where uh, Cooper sees Laura because I'm just curious about the one our man telling Cooper, someone is here, and then Laura obviously appears, and she tells Cooper, you can go out now. And my thought is, who gave her the, uh, the responsibility or the, uh, the go-ahead to tell Cooper that he could go out now? So it opened up this whole new you know, thread of thoughts that uh, what Laura's role is in the Black Lodge, and it led me to speculate any number of things that I think I'll mention during during uh, during our podcast here. Okay, yeah, we get some time to kill with the jackpot scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we get started. We're queued up at the Silver Mustang Casino. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I don't have a Rancho Rosa logo because I'm watching from my uh, – DVR of Showtime. They didn't have a transition. So, yeah, we're on the Silver Mustang Casino right here in part four. Yeah, if you want to follow along with us, we're here. So, we're going to press start right now. Boom. Here we go. The Silver Mustang. When this episode starts, we have pretty much like a montage of Cooper winning all of these uh, jackpots. And my question to you is can you recall any montages in the original Ever. series of Twin Peaks? No, I cannot. This yeah. is the class. This is yeah. This is a real straight up montage here. Yeah, the only thing I could really think of it really isn't a classic montage was when Truman was lamenting the death of Josie and he was getting drunk at the beginning <laughs> of God knows what episode that was. But uh, he was flashing back to all these moments of Josie. It wasn't really a, a montage, a classic montage. But I don't think Lynch has ever really done a classic montage. There was one little one in Blue Velvet. Um, in the middle of the movie, and then Wild at Heart had a couple of scenes where Sailor and Lula were fucking and smoking cigarettes and whatnot, but this was kind of a little uh, startling to see a montage in Twin Peaks. 
Yeah, and all the, the the quick pans and all the stuff. It's like a Scorsese movie here for a few seconds. Yeah, right, right. But it's good that we got a montage because we would have had to watch him, you know, win four hundred thousand dollars. That would have taken a lot of screen time. Can you right. imagine if he just did that? Let's just show it all, every right. goddamn one. It'd be like an hour, a whole hour is that. There's Lady Jackpots. Uh, what a is. great character. Yeah, I love I'm it. Yeah, she's, she's nope. You're at the wrong one. Right. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, this one, we saw this episode, this was the final one to drop on May 21st. And after coming off the high of part three, which we just immediately fell in love with, uh, didn't obviously know um, what Cooper's uh, story would entail living this life of Dougie Jones. Like you said last podcast, we thought maybe this would last an episode or so, but uh, we're going to get into the world of Dougie Jones and it's going to last for another what, 13 hours. Yeah, did you notice it's kind of like the the carpet's kind of like stars, like it is a dream. They're all in a dream. You that's star right. Carpet? That? Yeah, that's right. And this is Bill Shaker, Bill Shaker um, yeah. from With Allied Chemicals. It's exactly what you eat in a casino, a hot dog. <laughs> right. Like right. A baseball game. Right. <laughs> and this actress, is this This is not Jane Levy. Jane Levy was in the Roadhouse, no. correct? But this woman was also, I can't remember her name, but I liked her character. I mean, she really didn't have much to say, but... Uh, um, she was the first one that actually realizes something's wrong with this dude. She's like, you know, yeah, she was yeah. right. She goes, something's. What, what does she say at the end? She says, I don't think like, he's is he okay. I don't think he's okay. Yeah, right. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. We start getting the first uh, Lancelot Court stuff, right? Which I think is a frost <laughs> touch. Obviously, I think he was responsible for the whole Arthurian legend. And does anyone check the... to see if there's an, actually a Lancelot Court in Arthur or whatever in Las Vegas? That would make me I think maybe it's, it's real, more real. I, well. Maybe. And wasn't there um, also a Merlin's Market reference? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's this whole thing. I think that's, that's a, a nice, like, a frost touch. Are you excited about the final dossier being uh, released here in a couple of days? Yeah. I, wanna, like, I'm gonna, I can't wait to get it. And I'm going to review the original book as well, The Secret History. And, uh, yeah, we're going to do some podcasts on that. I'm super excited. I think there's going to be you, – you, you kind of teased on Twitter about some nuggets of – did you want to talk about the chapter titles that you discovered? I don't know if anybody else has gotten a chance to see those, but – they're pretty enlightening. No, I don't want to mention the actual chapter titles. All I will say is I think, in my opinion, that not only will it bridge the gap from the original series to what we just saw, this new iteration of season three, the 25 years, with a lot of the characters that we didn't see um, and find out their fates and some of the characters that we did. But I also think that he's going to elaborate on season three and go in, delve a little bit more into the mythology. I don't think it's going to be as esoteric as the secret history going back. Um, obviously, Lewis and Clark and Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, all the, you know, the aliens and everything. But I think that he's going to touch upon some of the more, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't say crazy theories in, in, in season three, but some of the more esoteric within season three, which I find very interesting and hopeful that we'll get maybe some some like clues because I don't think he's going to provide us any answers. I think, in my opinion, it'll probably enhance the mystery. Um, I don't think that he'll tie anything up together, but I also think this will be his invention. And just like the secret history, I don't think that he works independent of Lynch with his books. So whether we want to you know, deem it canon or not is you know to be determined. Yeah, do you think even if like Frost wanted to provide answers that he would he have to get sign off from Lynch? Like he could, you know, wrap this whole thing up if he wanted to. <laughs> he could, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the budget would be pretty uh, minimal. He could just throw that throw on the page and give us a whole bunch of uh, answers if he wanted to. If, if he were to want to do that, would he have to get sign off from Lynch? I don't think, I think so. I think he has it. his 
thing. With it's almost like novels. fan fiction, you know. It's like he could not. He's like the ultimate fan fiction. But like you know, he could probably do what he wanted to if he, you know, if he really had set his mind to it. He could give us all the answers he wanted. Well, he gave us some interesting tidbits in the secret history of Twin Peaks, but there wasn't really anything too relevant with season three. And I think that was because obviously uh, the show hadn't aired yet. And I think, you know, he was you know tied to the non-disclosure agreement. But I think now that the show has aired, I think some of this material, which maybe he originally wanted to include in the secret history of Twin Peaks, is now able to do so and to elaborate on that. That's why I think that we're going to get some kind of I wouldn't say closure, but some tidbits um, related to season three and or beyond. You want to talk yeah. about his quote just this week in uh, uh, reference to a possible season four? It was just today. We just heard about it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the, we got rumblings. We're very excited about that. That's what we've always thought. Is well, what did he possible. say exactly? Uh, he said he hasn't decided whether he's ready to do it. And he thinks that Lynch as well, they haven't decided. They're thinking about it, that, uh, that Showtime is doing the same and that... Uh, they'll decide you know they've got plenty of time but it felt hopeful that it's still out there percolating and he would have to be you know like lynch couldn't do it himself i don't think so i think he would have to be the one to come out first and come up with some ideas and a framework to get lynch excited i would think right oh i agree or lynch I may have that's... a couple nuggets you know or maybe they already have a whole bunch of stuff already figured out you know that what didn't make the, like all the stuff that was cut because it was too expensive and you never know well you know they could have stuff that they've already developed you know in rough form that they could just run with I love this scene where uh, Cooper and uh, the casino manager are almost like kissing. Yeah. They're Mr. so close. Jones, if that's right. your real name. I love this guy. His name's Brett. Uh, he's a comedian out in Los Angeles. He has a really good actor. I like him. Yeah. Well, I also think that... <laughs> he looks just, up. Right. With the Howard Hughes uh, picture Big in the background. Watching. Yeah, I like that. But it's I not think, Jack Parsons. It's Howard Hughes. It is Howard Hughes, Howard yeah. Parsons. I also think that just how the series ended with part 18, um, being so different from the previous 17 hours and we speculate that it's almost like a tease or if not the first episode of a presumptive season four that they very well probably had ideas like you said either they were unable to film or that they were saving in their back pocket for a future series or a series of books or a film if we do get something uh, more in the visual medium, I'm not certain that it would just be another series. It very well could be like a mini series. It could be a film. I don't think we, you know, should expect another 18 hours. I mean, I think the reason why it took so long to develop and uh, ultimately to air was because it was so big. And um, I think one of the things that maybe they could be deciding upon is how to tell future stories that maybe aren't as ambitious um, with scope with ideas sure but uh, so I'm not really convinced that if they do continue that we would have to wait the you know supposed you know four years yeah can you imagine like how fast like nine episodes would go by if they just did a nine episode season four if they still continue with the same glacial pacing they'd have to pick up the pacing I would think since Dougie's gone right (laughs) <laughs> right. Unless they do something different. I don't just know. Like we go six back to episodes Dougie Land. of Dougie Land. Like, yeah, out of nine episodes, they'd really have to speed it up. Or maybe they could right. just start with a really simple story, you know, and just tell it in long form. But yeah, That's I would true. not expect 18, but I would think maybe nine. Or, or like I said, like a, a movie or a mini series. Uh, there could be, you know, endless possibilities. You know, we're about to get our only reference to an owl. In yeah, the entire series, time. right bad here. Bad CGI, too. And bad CGI, right? 
The whole thing with the, the Dougie land, like Cooper as Dougie Jones with Janie E and Sonny Jim, here we are. We haven't met uh, Janie E. We're about to here. And like I said, we didn't know where it was going. Um, but thinking about it now, um, obviously this was a Lynch-Frost collaboration, but Lynch probably emptying a lot of his, uh, or from his uh, black idea box that he mentioned that he's been you know, cultivating and, and uh, accumulating all these different ideas over the years. And he uh, used a lot of these ideas for Twin Peaks. Well, Lynch and Frost collaborated on a script together uh, before Twin Peaks. It was a feature called One Saliva Bubble. And it was close to production. I believe Steve Martin and Martin Short, two of our favorite actors, um, were going to star in it. And it really was about um, like uh, uh, identities switching. There was a series of body switching movies in the 80s. This one would have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, prefaced it, would have come before? Yeah, would have come before, would have prefaced it. Thank you very much. Yeah, but uh, obviously that didn't um, happen. But seeing it now, reading the script, I haven't read it in a long time, but I can see some similarities in the Cooper storyline in Dougie Land with that script. And it was this kind of absurdist comedy. It was not something that was uh, similar to the Twin Peaks vibe or really anything David Lynch has ever done. And uh, I'm seeing strong similarities with that script. It's a great read. It's online. You can find it. It's called One Saliva Bubble. You should check it out. Yeah, well, here we are in, uh, I think we've just seen Naomi Watts drag Dougie back in after being gone for three days <laughs> and missing Sonny Jim's birthday. Balloons. She's really going off. Yeah, balloons, the balloon themes. Yeah. I thought it was going to be get... Laura. I thought it was going to be maybe Laura coming out of that door when I first I did too. Yeah. I really, really thought it was going to be Laura Palmer. How interesting. There's that scene that was cut out of the Fire Walk With Me script, um, one of the uh, earlier drafts where when Laura had her dream <laughs> – she saw Annie in the movie, and she told Laura about being in the lodge with, with Dale, and he couldn't leave. Well, in the original script, it was Cooper in bed with her, and they had sex. And, yeah, I remember uh, that. I'm glad yeah. that. <laughs> no, but I was thinking, like, before Naomi Watts showed up, like you said, wouldn't it be interesting? We saw Laura sucked at the lodge in part two, if that she was sent here and Cooper was sent here as well, and they're living as man and wife because we knew that their storylines were going to converge at some point and and probably go to Twin Peaks wouldn't it have been interesting if they were living as man and wife yeah I think it would have been interesting it would have been a very interesting can you imagine that sex scene you know that we saw later on if it was Laura Palmer instead of uh, Janie E well, at least that was a positive one. I, the, the Diane one really freaked me out in 18. That was the disturbing sex scene of a mall. God, watching that again with I'm glad they cut the firewall with the sex scene. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, it's just, that, that never gets, that, that, that's never going to get comfortable with me. That's always, you know, a really disturbing scene. That's why I think the whole thalamic sex ritual thing may be a possibility. Which one? Are you talking about the scene with Diane and Cooper in part 18 is disturbing? Yeah, in 18, yeah. Well, how come you don't, you wouldn't want uh, to see the, uh, a scene with Laura and Cooper in Firewalk with me? I don't know. I just never thought that Laura and Cooper should ever like have sex, that it wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that would be almost like violating her. Cause all she knows through love is to show sex and express herself. She's been abused. Right. So she's been a victim. It would be like, almost like Cooper would be victimizing her in a way, whether she wanted to or not, it would just be like crossing the line. Also as an FBI agent with his, you know, yeah, but it was a dream appropriate. Well, you know, and they also kissed in the dream in the original (laughs) series and here in part two. Well, yeah, yeah. That's okay. A little kissy. It's kind of an evil kiss. That's true. He didn't walk away from that kiss feeling good. He was like, what the fuck did just happen? 
So, okay, let's talk a little bit about we got some time here while uh, Cooper is just uh, trying to figure out where the hell he is. Hey, he must have not been gone too long because all those helium balloons are still floating in the air. They've gone down just right. a little bit. So. <laughs> right. Oh, this is a great scene. I love this Richard scene with Dick Chamberlain. From uh, Shogun fame, the 70s. What was he else was he in? We've seen some other oh, like, 70s he, or the, 80s uh, miniseries. The, yeah. the, the Winds of War. Uh, there's all kinds of... Uh, yeah, we had like three channels when I was a kid. And one the Thornbirds? So yeah, the Thornbirds. He yeah. was a priest, I think. Yeah, <laughs> An illicit love affair. Wasn't he like the king it. of the miniseries in the 70s and 80s? Yeah. Dick Chamberlain? Yeah. There he is. I love that Good line time. reading that Lynch goes yeah. like, uh, that thing with Paul? And then he goes, uh, well, there you go. He's been sent to the Antarctic. Well, there you go. Yeah, perfect. And so you knew who was going to come out of this door, right, when we were watching this. Oh, well, of course, yeah. Denise Bryson, David Duchovny. And this is one of the few characters from the original series, season two, to make an appearance in part two. And this was something Lynch I never directed any episode with Duchovny's character. Um, I don't even know if he was really actively involved in the show at that, that point. There's uh, uh, some uncertainty with that, but... Uh, I think more than anything, just the stature of David Duchovny being kind of an A-lister um, with the interesting character, transgender, and Lynch has this classic line, fix your hearts or die, which has kind of taken a life of its own. And uh, you could say all you want about his maybe misogynistic tendencies um, with the French woman, but uh, I think, you know, he, he prefaces it with him being old school, but... Lynch saying to his uh, to all those clown comics, "Fix your hearts or die," really kind of uh, cements, in my opinion, uh, Cole's character as uh, a spot on uh, Boy Scout. Well, yeah, he's got his flaws. We all got our flaws. Well, yeah, we do have our flaws. So yeah. There he is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think sent uh, Denise the roses? What are the roses doing there, sitting on the the, the chair next to? <sighs> Who's looking at him? Yeah, I don't know. There was one like a lily. I don't know what the hell was in the middle, but there was a, it was roses and a flower in the middle, a white flower in the middle. You sure it wasn't uh, blue rose? I didn't see any blue yeah. roses. Do you think his little hot flash thing, where he uh, kind of uh, kind of waves at his face at the end, was uh, kind of an improv, Duchovny improv? Yeah, I think so. I think so too. He's going through the hormone treatments. Right. He doesn't want to know about it. I like Cooper's face when he, or Gordon's face. He's like, Ugh, don't tell me. Right. I want to hear about these things. Well, this also when you were thinking that in part two that Albert might have been on that phone call, um, and then here Denise Bryson says, "Are you bringing Albert?" Like maybe kind of insinuating yeah. that, do you sure you want to bring Albert along? Yeah. And I think Cole says, do birds fly? That we were being set up, that Albert was going to be a character of interest, that he was going to maybe have some conflict. And here at the end of this episode, I don't want to get too far off, but uh, his whole reveal to Cole about speaking to Jeffries and Mr. C and Cole not knowing that, there was this great setup for Albert that we really didn't have a payoff. In fact, Cole was harboring some great secret from Albert that he just revealed in Part 17 about uh, meeting with Briggs and Cooper in reference to uh, Judy. Do you want to talk about your Cole is the dreamer theory? I just had a thought, you know, trying to figure out who actually is, uh, what's real and what's not in terms of if this is all a dream or this is all a lodge manifestation, you know, what part of the series was real. And, uh, you know, I think tw Twin Peaks, parts of that were real. I guess it's all real. But obviously not the, the 17 and the, the sheriff station, but Mr. C appeared to be real, you know, right? Because he interacted. But then again, there, there might be a theory where only Gordon is real <laughs> and everything else is the dream and he is the dreamer. 
Well, it'd be kind of like a it's meta awesome. thing too, with like yeah. you know Cole obviously yeah. being played by Lynch, the director. Yeah, exactly. We are living inside a dream. He's mentioned it right in interviews. Like we live in a dream. Like he's you know didn't you mention about one time <laughs> he was given an interview before the series and he kind of went off on a little tirade, but he stopped himself because he didn't want to like give away too much. Yeah, no. There's this uh, 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 one of our friends on Reddit actually who uh, gave us a bunch of uh, fodder, some interesting theories that he wanted to just, uh, wanted us to discuss, and we will when we do another podcast where we really just, you know, stick to theories, but he kind of linked to, Dude, um, these are all theories. Well, yeah, he linked to <laughs> we just stick to theories. That's all we do. This okay. uh, quote, this interview that Lynch gave was uh, some, uh, some, someone who uh, brought up the Upanishads quote, you know, we are like the, uh, the dreamer who lives inside a dream and Lynch cut him off and said, well, 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 you know, that's kind of true. You know, we do live inside of a dream and kind of expounded on that a little bit. And then he cut himself off. You know, gave a little cryptic response or whatever, but uh, I think Lynch really, really, really believes that the kind of theory that we're all living inside a dream because he did say how wonderful and blissful it is when you do become awakened. And maybe he wants to tie that into transcendental meditation. Maybe he is enlightened. I don't know, but he did cut himself off, but it is uh, interesting. I just want to mention here we're with Lucy in the police yeah, station and there was that photo, that horribly photoshopped photo of Andy... <laughs> and her and Michael Sarah. Did we pick that up? Yes. And the original, yes, did, we knew yes. at that point, Yeah, because right? it was pretty obvious. You could see it. <laughs> it was really photoshopped. <laughs> oh, there goes Lucy. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. And our introduction to Frank Truman, played by yeah. uh, Robert Forster, right? This is his first yep. scene. Our first shot of him. Yeah. I love him. He's so good. Do you think He's good that everything. they really wanted Michael Onkeen, Harry Truman, to be in the series, and for some reason... At the 11th hour, he had to back out, and then they just on the fly created Frank Truman, or Frank Truman was always going to be in it, and maybe Harry as well, and they had to cut it back? You know, I don't know. Obviously, I've, I've talked about my feelings for uh, Sheriff Truman, so I, I probably would think that, because uh, he, didn't he want uh, Robert Forster to be Sheriff Truman in the first place, but he just yeah. looked back in the 80s, so I think that was a plan, and that like he was going to come in, um, or an idea that he had. I just have a feeling about that. I don't know that for sure. But uh, you would think if there was something like it's just been a mystery. I don't know why. And maybe it's just because. Well, I think, you know, yeah. To, to say, hey, well, Lynch wanted to, wanted to go a different direction. He did that with a few other characters. But uh, maybe, maybe uh, I don't know, Michael Anke got his feelings hurt and then didn't want to do it after he found out that he wasn't going to be the the main sheriff. I don't know. There's all kinds of rumors going on, right? I don't really understand the whole story. Right. Cause he was actively looking for his jacket from the original series. And I think from everything yeah. that I read that he was set to go all the way up to, excuse me, maybe about a month or so before production began. And then for some reason he pulled out and it's really never been, uh, there's been no explanation given. So my thinking is, is that they were going to have him in there and they still maybe were considering putting him in or maybe for a future series because they alluded to him several times. I mean, they could have easily just written him out or killed him off, and, and they never did. Yeah, I thought we were going to see a, see at least a scene of him sick somewhere, you know, at some yeah. point. I thought that they were leading up to that, but it didn't happen. And really, and honestly, like, really, the sheriff's department didn't have a whole lot to do except for going to Jackrabbit's Palace and visiting, like, Sarah Palmer. They didn't really do much. You know, they sat around a lot. But so Yeah, but sure. you know what? They're setting it up here in part four. We just had the scene where Truman goes after he sees Lucy and Andy – and then he goes to the back of the sheriff's station and we meet Maggie, the dispatcher. And then we see Chad and Jesse, the other deputies. And then there's four yeah, other guys in the background, CSI the, the, guys. Like, some of like CSI guys. <laughs> and it's almost like this is the high tech or the, the doppel of the sheriff's station. 
Um, and they never really kind of followed through with that. I don't think we saw Maggie again after uh, that scene with Carl where he called uh, uh, her and trying to get in touch with uh, Bobby. And we never saw those CSI guys again. And Jesse only had one or two scenes. Chad had really the most screen time out of any of the new uh, police. And, you know, we know where he wound up. Um, yeah, in retrospect, what do you think of this uh, Lucy Andy scene of him explaining cell phones to her? God, you know, that for me, the, 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 the Lucy and Andy scenes in the first half of the series were probably the most excruciating because it just seems so, like, dumbed down from their original. I know they weren't really, you know, bright to begin with, but they were charming and endearing in the original series. But for me, in the first half of the series, especially Lucy, I just couldn't wrap my head around why they would write her character in this way. The whole cell phone confusion and being kind of ditzy, even more ditzy than she originally was. And Andy with his fat suit, too much punky and his, his odd facial expressions. It just didn't really set right. And the only scene for me with Lucy and Andy that rang true was when Wally Brando, their son, showed up. And they really didn't even have any dialogue. But just their presence and their facial reactions seem more true than in any other scene. But of course, it changed for me when Andy became prominent later in the series and ultimately when, when he went to visit the firemen. And, and Lucy, when she had that whole lunch scene, when she was eating her lunch and she put her hand up, that felt like Lucy to me. So it did evolve for me, but the early scenes of Andy and Lucy were, were kind of excruciating. Well, this scene did pay off, though, in the episode you know, 17. You know, she actually remembered what cell phones were. That was her Asta La Vista, Vista baby line. Right. Very baby. important, very important. That was good. Yeah, and we had Bobby. We had our, our first shot of Bobby, too. He's Deputy Bobby Briggs, and uh, yep. he's got to uh, take a that. piss because the back of his teeth are floating, and uh, I like that line. And uh, we have Hawk now, basically the uh, storyline in Twin Peaks, the only real plot here in Part 4 of Twin Peaks that's relevant to anything is the Log Lady's message to Hawk that something is missing related to Agent Cooper, and they got the old case files from uh, the Laura Palmer mystery, and now Hawk is filling in um, Sheriff Truman and we're going to get this plot angle and it's kind of going to have some forward momentum but really kind of stop after Hawk finds the diary pages and then it kind of morphs into Briggs uh, Major Briggs's message to the Bobby and Truman and Hawk to go to Jack Rabbit's palace um, so the whole Laura Palmer thing which I thought was going to really have this momentum um, in the series and kind of cascade to the other characters and in the town. It was going to kind of culminate with her return as with Cooper. And it, it didn't really take that tack. Um, so it was like Lynch, like zigging when, you know, expecting him to zag. And uh, now looking back on it after seeing all the 18 hours, um, it, it really is uh, a series of, of, of curveballs that Lynch and Frost are throwing us with the uh, expectations because I think that we're all expecting kind of a facsimile of the original series. But now in retrospect, th this, this new iteration really felt like more of like a sequel to Firewalk With Me and especially how he incorporated Firewalk With Me into the series, especially more so towards the end, that we have the original series of Twin Peaks, which is its own kind of feel, like the first season had its own feel. The second season had its own feel. Fire Walk With Me had its own feel. And now this series had its own feel. And I think a lot of people, even myself, had a, a little bit of a, a difficult time kind of like accepting that. But now that it's over, I'm really convinced that it was the only way to go. And Lynch as an artist is always evolving and, and never to expect uh, the same. We got some callbacks some fan service here and there, but this was always going to be its own beast. 
<laughs> Bobby's the just cried over Laura's picture, <laughs> and she goes, he goes, I got a story about our special agent Dale Cooper. He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I, like, I think I remember that dude. Yeah. So did he? I, I was talking and I wasn't paying any attention. He just did talked he over the Bobby Laura? freak out. Yeah, he just saw Laura's. You know, and he had his emotional breakdown, and we got Laura's theme and from the original series. Yeah, that was really the first Probably one take musical cue, right? From yeah, uh, the original series. Yeah. Here comes our scene, dude. <laughs> Wally Brando. Murphy and I, we were together in L.A., and here we are three and a half hours into the new series and just dealing with all these different emotions and everything, and we get this scene, and we both... I haven't laughed this hard. I can't remember the last time I laughed this no. hard. It yeah, was you, so funny. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, my head was hurting. I've seen a lot of people hate him. They hate his guts, and I think he's the funniest. Like, he's great. Bobby's still crying. I love that. This is just so great. Frank sauntering out and pushing in on Michael Cera, Wally Brando. (laughs) I was laughing before he even started speaking. See you too, Chef Truman. But his voice is just like the most hilarious thing, just doing the Marlon Brando. (laughs) And a little like godfathery stuff, you know, just a very, (laughs) he is my godfather. I heard he is ill. He's doing like yeah, he's doing like Vito, <laughs> young Vito. The, the Wally respects. name on his leather jacket. I mean, this is really the Mar- Marlon Brando from the Wild One, and the, the outfit to a T. He's got the voice down, the, just the, the 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 lovely turn of phrase, and may the road you know rise up to meet your wheels, and uh, the Dharma is my road. This scene really for me uh, was so beautifully written, acted, um, the uh, comedy even though it's kind of underplayed and maybe a lot of people didn't get the reference. I know it went on for so long, but I just found it absolutely hysterical. And, and I still the do. megaphone. He was going like, never keep your hands on him. Like he told him, don't take your hands off Wally. He's like the whole time they got their hands on him. Oh, did he, did he really him. say that? Yeah. He's like, don't ever let your hands <laughs> off. See, this I look is... at his eyes and I try to figure out, is this an act? Is this sincere? Cause I look in his eyes and I could see, I feel like he's almost kind of mocking everybody. Like he, it's not sincere. Like he, he's talking about his family, how great they are. They're wonderful people, but that he kind of hates them. And he's been forced to come here. And maybe he had some sort of, maybe he's gotten in trouble with the law in the past. And so that's why he's come here to show Sheriff Truman that he's like, you know, reformed, but it's all insincere. And so he's putting on this overly, you know, like that's an act. Well, no, I think it's definitely. An I don't know. Act. See, it might be real too, but I, I wonder. Like, I, I, Michael Sarah gives his eyes gives some interesting uh, subtext. Yeah, see, I think Lucy here is acting like Lucy, <laughs> the Lucy that I I know from the original series, and uh, uh, they're all great here. But I I agree with you. I think that he's putting on an act. But my gut is that he was sheltered and molly coddled, and at some point he rebelled and created this persona but within him is still this very sensitive uh, lad who really does love and respect his parents but it's in conflict with this persona which he's created um, this ultimate rebel I mean the Beatles for Christ's sakes took their name from the wild one Lee Marvin who was in it played the main baddie made a reference to I think the Silver Beatles or something I can't remember the actual name it was another club the movie is very iconic and here you know, Wally Brando is, uh, uh, you know, he's he's emulating, you know, the ultimate rebel. But yet he is probably this sheltered child who has probably, you know, the, the sweetest, dimmest parents, you know, on the face of the earth. 
and he's in conflict of what he really wants to be with with who he really is. Do you think all these stories are true, or he writes like you know f- fiction? He's working at a Starbucks in Spokane, and none of these trips are real. <laughs> or maybe he's a bookhouse boy. What do you think? God, you know what? We never got any reference to bookhouse boys. Yeah, that would have been yeah, was really there not one reference at all at all no, in the entire series. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. There was in the well, book. That's a missed opportunity. Dude. I agree. I love those guys. I thought there should have been a yeah. I would think that would there been, is. Well, I would have been almost certain that there would have been some bookhouse boys in the new season when it started and did happen. Bookhouse oh. boys or even bookhouse babes. There's this group on Twitter. Yeah, the bookhouse. They're babes. great. They're the fantastic. Yeah. We're following them on Twitter. They've got these fantastic tweets. They've got Ray Wise started following them today. Just a bunch of incredibly savvy women. The bookhouse babes and genius. Yeah. I, Let's have some yeah, bookhouse babes. Taken that storyline in the real series. They yeah. Taken a story that had some, yeah, had some bookhouse babes. Yeah. Done something with it. This was just such, I mean, here we go. This scene was like four or five minutes That's long. It's a lovely turn of phrase. <laughs> <laughs> See, his eyes kind of cry out help. His eyes are kind of crying, help me. <laughs> help me. Call for help. And I love the. Can you imagine being raised by Andy and Lucy your whole life? Like, what I, would that no, be like? I can't. Kind of, but part of me maybe kind of wishes uh, I had. Yeah. You know, we, I could see Andy. Be, I could see it. I could see Lucy. I could see him being. You know, you know they Andy act at work. Kind of looks a little bit like your father here. You think so? A little Gerald, yeah, a little, a little bit. Geraldy, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Can you see it without the glasses? Uh, the fat, the fat suit helps. <laughs> no, <laughs> I wasn't saying that. I love Frank Truman's <laughs> patience, and then hit that expression right at the end there, and yeah, he's just kind of shaking his head. <laughs> And, you know, it was perfect. We, we thought after the scene, oh, my God, let's get more Wally Brando. But yeah. in retrospect, wasn't it just perfect to have that self-contained Yeah, we kind of knew it was probably not that was going to be it. It was a great star turn. Bam, great scene, classic. And, uh, yeah, some people didn't like it. Some people loved it. But I thought it was great. I thought it was just that's all we saw. Although I thought there might be something, like, at the end just to give us a little somewhere. Right. But, uh, the green jacket, my friend. There it is. Lynch had a green jacket play a big role not a big role but i guess an important role with one of the villains in inland empire and there's in the documentary there's a scene of him actually creating the green jacket he takes a jacket and dips it in this green paint and this is just another one of his i think ideas in his black box and uh, cooper is i think starting to feel the effects of being back and having not urinated in 25 years yeah but here's okay so coffee it's diuretic our unified lodge theory here's the one our man doing his tai chi and he's going to show up in the jones home cooper recognizes here's the familiar you know lodge audio cue you see me don't you that was good kind of creepy i like that so this is just another visual cue that that Cooper is still in the Black Lodge. I like the look on his face. I know, right? He's like, what am I looking at? <laughs> you, what are tricked? Okay, so who tricked him, Tom? We've been talking about this last episode. We'll probably be talking about it forever. Well, I think that you were tricked is in reference to Mr. C. That's the obvious. Now, it could, you could add, you know, Jaude to that. You could say the evolution of the arm, the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm. But I think just the fact that the tulpa of Cooper was created, the Dougie was created, that actually prevented the actual transfer. But watching part two again, when Laura says, you can go out now, and after that whole scene plays out, and he sees the evolution of the arm, and he walks out, and he tries to go through the curtain, and he's blocked. I really do believe now that if he hadn't have been blocked, he would have exited the lodge at Glastonbury Grove and would have met not Diane, but Hawk in part two. That was 
what was supposed to happen. But when he was blocked and he, he went in reverse and things started you know going to shit and he saw Leland, he opened up the curtains. And when he opened up the curtains, that's when he saw Mr. C driving towards him. That was the beginning of the what we call our unified lodge theory that Cooper was never going to leave the lodge because he couldn't since Mr. C was already out there. And what we were seeing was these kind of infinite void of the Black Lodge, and we're seeing it here play out in uh, Dougie Land. And the, the Mr. C storyline, which was separate, and we never saw them merge until Part 17, was actually the real world. Yes, yeah, so whoever tricked him in Part 2 and, and made him non-existent uh, tricked him, is the one that tricked him in the, that they're ta- referring to here in Part 4. Are you trying to set me up that? that saying that the person or the entity that tricked Cooper was Jaude. No, I think that's kind of the easy answer now, but I'm thinking like, cause if it's a parlor game, then you would think who's in the room when he got tricked in part two. Like maybe, I mean, it's only the one or man in the evolution of the arm. It seems that like the evolution of the arm really had a turn of personality and was, you know, kind of, he freaked out and said non-existent. Like he seems like he was the one that kind of messed up the plan that uh, chain, you know, he was supposed to go out now and go into meat Hawk and it didn't happen. If it wasn't Judy, then do you think it might be the evolution of the arm that did it? Like, yeah, was I the mean, one who tricked him. Like, who, who are the, who are your suspects in this uh, mystery? Well, I, there's not very answer. many because the only people right, that we see many. in the Black Lodge are the one-armed man, the evolution of the arm, its doppelganger, um, Laura, and Cooper. Now we did see Ray when he died, Diane when she died, and Mister C. But those four uh, primary characters are the only ones that we've seen in the Black Lodge. But it was interesting that the evolution of the arm said Bob, 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 pretty much right before. Right, his see? doppelganger. Yeah, he kind of just threw it out there, didn't he? He's kind of not like in a not pleasant way, and not like, "Hey, Bob, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, watch out for that guy. We're on your side." He was kind of freaking him out, like maybe he wasn't, because I've always, you know, the evolution or the arm himself kind of scared me. What also for me is that it's legit, it's curious that I'm, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Is that the shit really didn't start going down until Laura actually was removed from the lodge, and this new kind of theory that I'm working on is that. Laura, in my opinion, since we know where she came from, she emanated from the firemen, was that her destiny, her ultimate destiny, was to uh, be sent to Earth and to be killed, not to be possessed by Bob, to put the ring on so she could go into the Black Lodge. And since she is a part of the firemen, which is a representation of good, that her presence in the Lodge was to ultimately, over time, through evolution or through an evolving uh, state, change the Black Lodge from this evil, uh, you know, realm to a realm that it turns good. And Laura was responsible for that, but with her being sucked out, um, changed everything. Now, how she got sucked out and who sucked her out is still um, unknown, but it plays into part 18 or part 17 when Cooper saved her he actually prevented her from dying and going to the Black Lodge and what I'm speculating is is that was a fuck up and what the fireman is doing by telling him is to remember 430 Richard and Linda two birds with one stone that what he has to do is he has to rectify that by finding Laura in Odessa, crossing over, and to bring her back home to ultimately be sacrificed again so her soul returns to the lodge. 
so she can, you know, maintain her role, her presence as, like you were saying, Zhao Dei is the queen of the Black Lodge, that Laura, her role is kind of like, a, you know, you would say kind of maybe the Christ-like martyr figure martyr, is yeah. to actually be in the lodge. That is her destiny. So I'm going to work on this theory some more. It's something I really just came up with tonight. But um, it really kind of has changed my interpretation of not only the whole series, but especially the finale. Well, it kind of ties into the whole lore blowing out the lights and having it being a positive ending, right? It seems like that would kind of, you could make an argument for both of those two theories tying together. Well, yeah, but it, yeah. Would be, it wouldn't be like that she's blowing out the lights. Is What it is doing is, is that Cooper, because we didn't know Cooper, or what we saw Cooper in part 17 is, is murky. He has moments where he's acting like Cooper, but more so he's acting like it's, you know, vacillating between him and Mr. C. Uh, like there's a conflict with him. And then when he's driving Laura to Twin Peaks, he's not saying anything. He's very determined, very morose, that he knows what he's doing is he's bringing her to be sacrificed. And when he brings her to the house, he's expecting Sarah to be there, but it's Alice Tremont. And then that's when he starts to question everything and go like, what year is this? But then what happens is, is that the real evil, the haunted house presents itself Laura, we hear Sarah's voice, and it comes to Laura that that's what this um, uh, journey is being le- is leading to is her to be sacrificing. She just remembers it at that moment, and it all comes back to her. And the lights go out, but the darkness in that house is now availing itself, and she's probably either going to be sacrificed at that particular point, or that whole cycle is going to continue. So that's I, I, that's where I'm kind of leaning towards right now. But like I said, I just came up with it. I need some time to kind of uh, uh, put some. More yeah, would you think that it. Richard would uh, be a part of this consciously? Like Cooper would be like a part of the bad. Would be you know he would. I mean, I guess it would be for a good cause, but he would be leading Laura to her death again. Right, right, and it, isn't that interesting because that is the flip. Is that here was this you know this white knight coming to solve the murder in the original series, and and this whole thing in this new series was leading up to him saving Laura, but then maybe kind of realizing from the fireman who was very stern in part one, like it is in our house now, you know four three zero Richard and Linda two birds with now go to it, go find it, you're far away now go 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 fix it, you fuck up, and that that's what he's conflicted is that. You know, he's having to do, he's not only having to uh, right a wrong, but he's having to lead Laura back to, like, to be killed again. But it's for a greater purpose from the fireman's, like, you know, uh, you know uh, per the fireman's instructions. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's almost like maybe that, if that was the case, then maybe that scene that we never can figure out with him and the fireman, like, maybe he's, like, in the principal's office after fucking up the fireman's plans. <laughs> right. Right. He's always fucking up the fireman's plans, even in 17. Like, he showed up late. The fireman already had that taken care of with Bob and Freddie and everything. And he's running around trying to come in late, do, finish his homework, turn it in late, running into class. And it didn't work. Like, the same thing. He's trying to <laughs> fix something that the fireman has already gotten taken handled pretty well. Even though you never know if the fireman, like, this whole Laura theory of yours, whether it would have worked. You know, it would right. take some time to change the culture within the Black Lodge if you're going to bring a new CEO in. <laughs> or future princess or queen or whatever, martyr, whatever she would be. Um, but it's an interesting theory. We'll have to do a whole podcast about that probably at some point. Well, I think I think we will. But it's like a chessboard. Think of the chessboard like the uh, the floor of the Black Lodge, black and white. And you have all these chess pieces. And like Laura and Cooper um, are just two of the, the more prominent pieces on the board. And over time, it's the firemen and Jowday, you know, the good and the evil 
who are like playing the seventh like seal seven playing seal. chess, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> Forever and ever, just a million games. Just to remember. that's what I mean. Laura could have been like the martyr, like instead of like the knight or the bond of the pawn of the bishop. She's the martyr, and she's just been martyred in a million timelines. That's like that she's. Ugh, I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Here we go with uh, Albert and uh, 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 Tammy and Cole driving to the Yankton. Yep. And yep. Uh, the Cossacks line. And Faces of Stone. <laughs> I love that line, the Faces of Stone. Faces of Stone, Albert! Uh, yeah, it's a classic line. I didn't like that scene when I first saw it. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I was a little... But it grew it grew, it grew on me, and I really do love that line now. It did. It was, for me, it was the, kind of the, the, the false... You and I hated uh, that scene. Rear I I projection. That. We were arguing about it. Yeah, we were like, "This is this should have been cut." Yeah, we were we were not happy with it. Right, but like, but now coming up, this is one of the best scenes. Uh, this is the scene that sold me, man. When we finally get to see uh, Mr. C getting interrogated, this is the one that sealed it. I completely agree. Track, this yeah. for me <laughs> is still one of the most uh, oh, the, yes. the standout yes. scenes of the entire series, and we get our introduction to Warden Murphy. Uh, we get a mention to this. Toxic-like substance, the Garmin Bozia, which we never get. Hey, Tom, they just said the vomit's still in the lab. (laughs) I guess it still is. The cocaine, machine gun, dog leg. What? No cheese and crackers. Apologies in advance for Albert. See, this is just really—it's getting in a groove, and I was like, I'm liking this. I do too. I I, I like (laughs) it. Yeah. And then here we go. The great mug shot. Wasn't there something about his birth date and Matthew Lillard's birth date matching? Or doing something? Didn't somebody figure that out? There. Yeah, 1973. Report. I think they were born in the same year, which is completely odd. Um, in 73, that's when I'm born. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean that because we thought for a while that there was going to be a connection with Lillard's character and the whole, you know, mystery with Ruth Davenport and Major Briggs tied to Mr. C that we were going to see that play out. And when we heard about that birthdays being. Uh, exact. I was kind of convinced at that point that we were going to get some weird lost highway uh, yeah. freak out. But uh, identity switching. Well, here we go. Here's the big scene. God. Interviewing Special Agent Dale Cooper in here. <laughs> I love this scene. We didn't know what to expect. So we much. Like, the the oh, slowly yeah. the kind of the partition rising and his expression and then seeing Cole mm. and Albert and his voice modulation dude oh. and the thumbs up man the thumbs up that's the one i, was, I love here that good to see you. and his voice dude i don't know what they did but this is i kind of wish mr c spoke like this all the time i agree and it took us a while to figure out the ear remember we didn't pick it up yeah. on the first viewing yeah and i think some i think twitter had to reveal it for us but uh yeah, what, what do you think that, why is he talking like this at this point? We thought maybe it's because Dougie was in the world now and that they couldn't ex- coexist in the same timeline, but now that was not, was not proven to be true throughout the series. He started talking normally again. Why this uh, accent? I did like that. Accent. I like that theory uh-huh. that because he said the ear of, like things were in his fingerprint, one of his fingerprints, the, the spiritual mind was backwards, that the fact that Cooper was out was affecting Mr. C, kind of this Corsican Brothers thing. But obviously that wasn't to be. I always took it, you know, after you know, that was kind of poo-pooed, was that it was just he was in that room with the acoustics. It just made, and it was just Lynch deciding an artistic touch to make him sound a little bit more ominous. And it worked because I love that voice. It was so dark and disturbing. This scene yeah, is it's like speech is like this methodical. I was on my way, you know, with Philip Jeffries. He's going into this. It's just really 
like uh, trance-like and just bizarre and very inhuman and just like the anti coop that we know. Then he repeat. That's what's so terrible. Then he repeat himself where he goes, "I was yeah. on my way to twice. see you," and then he repeats it again. Yeah, uh, I had an accident. And he wasn't on and, the way to see him. Of course, he's not. No, because what Tammy said, he was going yeah. west, but he actually was going east. Dude, there's this one line coming up here where he goes, "I never really left." Like, what the fuck? We'll get you home. Like, I never really left. What the Does fuck? He does he say, I never do? really left or I never really left home? I think he just says, it. well, we're about to find out. Well, I don't have the closest <laughs> Look at Albert. On. See, I think Albert, like, really cues, like, Albert is starts to freak out. I, I've left messages, and there it is. And Albert starts sweating, and his eyes start. This is just terrifying, dude. This was the He's setup burning, that oh, I thought was going to be one of the major plot points was Albert's role, like I said, in uh, Mr. C's storyline, which never came to be. And he, we had Bob, a reference to Bob in part two, a reference to Jeffries in part two, and here in part four. And we're going to get more Jeffries. I thought it was going to be this. Dude, he's like Albert Brooks in broadcast news. He's just sweating up a storm. <laughs> Nixon like. <laughs> God, this was uh, just really like a. I love this line. Of course, I will be exonerated in courts of law. Oh, my God. This, <laughs> I could watch this scene like Sarah Palmer watching the boxing match in an endless loop. This is what. Here it scene. is. We'll bring you back home for our talk. And then he goes, I never really left I've home. I've never really left home, Gordon. And home what does is, that mean? is a theme of uh, this entire series. I mean, it was it was Dougie Coop. It was the Tulpa Coop's last line, home. He was taking Laura home. And here we have another reference to home. His what home is the mean, Black though? Lodge. Oh, wait, this is just a great show. <laughs> the Frozen... Uh, thumbs up smile as the, the, the things go the, the I love that down. yeah he that would be that was so <laughs> and chilling horrifying oh yeah so you were asking me about uh, the home like what does it mean in reference to Mr. C yeah what does that mean like I'm trying I mean I, I'm trying to that's a very mysterious line that I still haven't figured out yet I'm wondering your thoughts what does that really mean I never really, left, never really home. left home well I don't know is, is, is home the reference to the FBI obviously is what he's is Cole is insinuating right and he says we're gonna get you back home I guess like you know what back to Philadelphia back uh, back to his old way of life but that's not what he means well no but he wasn't he different. saying that he was working undercover um, all these years in connection with Jeffries and that he yeah. was gonna come to Philadelphia to apprise Cole of whatever he was working on so I think yeah. that was just trying to pacify Cole that, you know, he really hasn't left the FBI, but it was done in such a, a, an ominous tone that Cole or no one would obviously believe that was the case. That's my only answer. Could it have been Bob coming out to say a little line? I think that was all Bob, wasn't it, primarily? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I never left home. I'm still inside Coop. I'm here. I don't know. That's a great line, but here we go. Here's the... Tammy Sauntering. line, yeah, from Albert. What does he say? Now, he yeah. says... Uh, feeling better now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I just love the well. way that he shot this with the blue tint and um, Cole yes. turning up his hearing aid and the tight shots on both Cole and Albert. And we get... Now, and he calls out Albert immediately, too. That's what I love. I he love the like, Albert. I saw that. Is there something you'd like to tell me? Albert. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's the so 11 great. seconds, yeah. <laughs> Silent stares. I would freak out if Coop Lynch or Gordon were staring at me for 11 seconds and not saying a word. Right. So what do you think this whole thing was man in Columbia means? Was that when Cooper was in? Do you think there's this whole series of events that 
you know, went down in South America in the intervening 25 years. We know that Buenos Aires plays a connection because of the black box. It ties into Philip Jeffries and Firewalk with me. Mr. C had a place or at least where he was, you know, uh, recording, you know, some tracks for his uh, his first LP in Rio with that shot of him coming out of his bungalow. So it, do you think the South America is something that uh, has some kind of importance to the storyline related to Albert? Well, maybe in season four or something like maybe some fan fiction in the future, maybe in Mark Frost's book, perhaps. But obviously it's just a backstory that we aren't really meant to know anything about. But obviously something went down there. Something, something went wrong. And they had to know, know at least. There's still ties down there. Like Cooper's still sending things to the box down there. Right. Something down there. And they had. And Judy's been down there. So. Right. And they had to, obviously with that photo of him, someone had, ta- you know, was keeping tabs on him or they, they got, they knew something about Cooper, Mr. C, in South America at some point in those 25 years. And that man in Colombia obviously is a reference to that, but I thought it was going to play out, especially when we saw Buenos Aires in Part 5. But that was it. Once that black box uh, disappeared, that was it. No more South America, no more Buenos Aires, no more black box. Uh, Philip Jeffries was not there. He was obviously, you know, in the convenience store, in the motel room. So, um, just another mystery. Maybe they couldn't afford it. Maybe it was one of the scenes that were cut from it. Right. Sabrina mentioned. Hey. This is one of, I think this is Miguel Ferrer's best scene in the entire series. I love this scene. Yeah, you know what? I think you're exactly right. This was his moment here um, to shine. And it's unfortunate that he didn't really have kind of a payoff. Um, that was <laughs> one of my... What? He's going meta here. <laughs> I don't understand this situation at all. Well, there it is. That's a great ending. I like that line. Where she drinks, that's it. Yeah, then we cut to, is it? Back to the Roadhouse. Au revoir, Simone. Au revoir, Simone. I liked this song. This was actually a good song. And they actually showed up again, didn't they? Yeah, I think they got, they were like in the background. Yeah, I think they, yeah, they should, they had two full songs, didn't they? Yeah, I think they did. They're the only ones, right? Uh, I think the chromatic showed up again, didn't they? So yeah, Yeah. part four, um, really, this was, I I mean, we didn't, it was Mr. C and Cooper, a lot of that. And we got a little bit of Twin Peaks. Obviously, we had the great Wally Brando scene, but we had the, fir, uh, the development of the, uh, the plot related to um, whatever something was missing related to Agent Cooper with the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. So it was all coming to head. I really felt that the first four hours since they dropped was almost its own like kind of movie. And I think there was a reason why they dropped three and four as opposed to just the first two, because it really kind of had this proper ending with the culmination of Albert Cole and Tammy meeting Mr. C. It was not only a fantastic ending, but it kind of left us with these uh, these breadcrumbs of where it was going to go. Philip Jeffries, um, uh, possibly Diane. Um, so I just thought it was an incredible episode. Well, this was the, uh, we had a complete emotional roller coaster watching the first episode to the fourth in one sitting in four hours. We were like, you know, completely biting our nails and banging our heads against the wall in the, or in the beginning. At the end, we we're dancing around like we had just won the World Series. <laughs> the four hour time span. Hey, let me ask good. you they something here. Magic. Um, you know, when the, uh, the evolution of the arm said, <clears throat> excuse me, in part 18, is it the story? of the little girl who lived down the lane. And I think we all, obviously, you know, Audrey said that. There's some kind of connection to that, still very nebulous. But I think what a lot of people are trying to tie that line together with is Carrie Page in part 18, because ultimately that's, you know, where Cooper, you know, found her and ultimately led her to Twin Peaks. But like I said, watching part two and part 18 again, what if the 
uh, reference to the little girl who lived down the lane is in reference to part eight and that little girl who lived, I don't know if it was Elaine, but what if it's a reference to her? Yeah, just because she's the only one of the only little girls in the whole. Or maybe she was the. What about the woman that was the girl that was in the car vomiting up stuff? It could have been her. Well, I'm just saying because young girls. That series, right? is so like mysterious. When we got that whole pretty much that bulk of part eight was the atomic explosion, the firemen, the woodsmen. But then we spent in you know the last like pretty much like 15 minutes with the woodsmen and this story of this innocent young adolescent couple um, sharing their first kiss. And the egg, which we knew was spewed from uh, Jaude, the experiment mother, whatever you want to call her, um, hatched and found its way into the little girl's mouth. And that was it, self-contained. But I think it's in reference, in my opinion, to Judy. Now, we still don't know who Judy is. Judy could be just Jaude. Judy could be um, uh, Nato. Judy could be Laura. Judy could be this little girl. We don't know. But I think that... It is not only symbolic, but it's in reference to the theme of duality, of good and evil. On the outside, we have this you know, innocent girl that has been corrupted uh, by you know, the pure essence of, of evil. And that's what I think really strongly ties with Laura, is that Laura really was that kind of uh, dual personality, uh, the light and the dark. And we know that she has a doppelganger in the Black Lodge from the original series. We know that you know Laura Palmer herself um, had shades of light and dark. I think it's not her. The little girl in Part 8 is not Laura, but I think it's somehow symbolically tied to Laura. And the evolution of the arms line uh, referencing that, and then what Cooper ultimately does after is find, like, Carrie Page could somehow symbolically be tied into that reference to that little girl in part eight. Well, yeah, I thought, or I, I guess I still think, is that the little girl down the lane is referring to Laura Palmer's story or the Laura tale. You mean you know? Carrie Page or Laura Palmer? Laura Palmer, but Carrie Page is all the same person. Well, yeah. It's all Laura, but that's what I think. So this is kind of, your theory is kind of a roundabout way to get into the same thing, but it's about Laura or Carrie or... You well, know, but it, it opens up so many different things because of what we saw in the lodge with Laura, but... I just really didn't ever think about her doppelganger until like recently. I mean, it exi- her doppelganger exists in that lodge. I mean, that was the one that was screaming. Meanwhile, all this stuff in the original series and what we saw here in, in, in part two, it, that very well could have been the Laurel doppelganger. I mean, we've always speculated that in, in Firewalk With Me, that when she went into the painting, when she was having her dream, there's a possible split that happened. Because she does tell James at the end of the, uh, uh, in the scene right before um, she went to go meet Jacques, Leo, and Renette, and before Cooper saved her here in this series, that she tells James, your, your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. What if there are like two Laura Palmers? And what I was saying about Laura Palmer, her destiny being in the lodge, but if there's another persona um, out there, maybe represented by like Carrie Page, and somehow if that's tied on to the little girl, you know, down the lane, that the the corruption, the good, that somehow they're like tied together. So I'm really just like kind of just really kind of like reinterpreting the whole notion of Cooper and Laura's meeting in part two, because I think that really that is probably the most important scene 
um, in the entire series. Because you remember when you were talking about her facial expressions? Yeah, she's full of her eyes were just so full of emotion. She had like Renoir eyes. <laughs> like they were just full of uh, all the years of suffering and that they had a big history. Like it was a really fantastic performance just with her eyes, I thought, you know, in that scene. But she kind of vacillates because I just watched it. That That is true. But there's also times where it's almost like she's kind of being a little kind of like mysterious or secretive or like she knows something and like uh, when you so, kind of think she's going to get angry a little bit sometimes well there's that for a second i was like is she gonna get mad you couldn't tell what was going to come out of her what if it's possible that like has you know looked like we saw cooper and we saw cooper's doppelganger then we saw at the end cooper and the doppelganger reunited as one or do- his doppel killed is it possible that laura's doppelganger at some point has been reunited with the real laura in the lodge and that what we see is a unification of the two like her dark side got out but now it's back I, I think there's all kinds of possibilities with we that. We never saw her double, you know. No, no. And we never, you know, saw... We never saw Leland's either. No, we didn't. We didn't see any doppelganger in the lodge other than the evolution of the arm. Yeah. Okay, we saw... Okay, yeah. All right, so... And wasn't it kind of... Like erased, uh, erased it from the the, 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 the myth, like erased doppels. Wasn't was that the only reference to a doppelganger that we had in the entire series? Well, yeah, he goes, remember your doppelganger. Oh, that's to, it, to right. As yeah, well, so yeah. That as well. I just, so it still exists. And also just with the one-armed man saying, someone is here, and then he disappears, and then Laura appears. Like, someone is here, and then he's gone. Like, they can't share the same space even though they're in the lodge. I just thought that was very, very curious that he chose those words, someone is here. It kind of reminded me of when the man from another place said, um, some of your friends are here. In, at the end of the original series, episode 29. And then we got a, kind of this cavalcade of uh, you know spirits and doppelgangers. But then Laura appears, and then she says, you can go out now. And uh, like I said, that opens up a whole, like for me, like Pandora's box of, of possibilities of who she represents in the Black Lodge. If she is actually Laura Palmer, she says that, you know, um, she feels like she knows her, but sometimes my arms went back. And that also ties into the experiment. Jaude, like I said, whatever you want to call her in part eight. If you notice, her arms are kind of bent back and her hand is like, her left hand is almost, it's like, it's backwards. And like you said, you mentioned with the Cooper in part 18, the same thing. Yeah. So um, there's, like I said, I, who Laura is at that point in the, in the Black Lodge in part two is something that I think is uh, uh, not only a mystery, but it's it's a lot deeper than I originally thought. Yeah, it's almost like everybody that was going into the White Lodge, and uh, you know, at the end, like Andy and like they all kind of have their arms back. You know, Cooper in eighteen when he gets off on the side of the road and goes to try to find the place, he's standing up there and looking up, and they kind of have their arms back, if you want to call it that. Hey, before we wrap this up, let me just ask you just a couple of questions, just brief in reference to the final dossier, because we're going to be reading it here in, in a couple of days. What are a, what would be your hope and B, do you have any kind of wild predictions? No, especially with that. I would just like, I would love to have some Judy action. I'd love to have a whole chapter about Judy or have, you know, some more explanation there. But uh, I really loved all the, I mean, he just went crazy with like the Nixon stuff and the Jackie Gleason and all the history of like, I love all that stuff. So 
you know, I can't predict where he's going to go with it, but I loved like seeing basically like the history of Twin Peaks and the mythology being spread throughout like decades and all these, you know, <laughs> historical figures, you know, from Lewis and Clark to Nixon to L. Ron Hubbard to all the Jack Parsons. I liked how he incorporated um, real life characters into the narrative. So I would hope he would do that, um, but not necessarily now that we've come to this point, it probably will be all about real characters because uh, it's all going to be about the series. So, you know, I'm going to leave it open. Obviously, I want a season four. <laughs> so I don't want him wrapping things up here or making some sort of like, you know, vast proclamations about what we've seen. Cause you know, in a way I think they've all taken a pact that like keep the mystery alive, which is what Stuart, you know, told us that that's what, you know, the mantra that they've got, right. Everyone has got to keep the mystery alive. And I think that's part of, you know, Frost and Lynch are bought into this so that what this is going to be is just another, like you said, another extension of the mystery with little answers maybe, but not, not anything major. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's what I would expect. What about you? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, what I originally thought that the secret history of Twin Peaks was going to be, and it was originally advertised as the story that would bridge um, the end of the, the events of the original series with the new series. And obviously it was far different than that. And like you, I found it fascinating. It, it was, a you know, a, a little, I guess, you know, indulgent in certain aspects, but I found it just fascinating because certain sections of it, um, especially related to um, um, Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, and uh, some of the older stuff like with Chief Joseph and even the Lewis and Clark, I just thought, found utterly fascinating. The parts of it that really for me weren't as interesting were more of the Twin Peaks uh, aspects, not only because uh, some of the events differed from the original series, it just wasn't as interesting as some of these new myths that, that Frost was uh, as creating so, what I'm hoping for the final dossier is a combination of getting some like I wouldn't say answers, but just some insight into some of the characters uh, from the original series. Maybe like a Wyndham Earl. Um, we didn't get Donna Hayward. Um, we don't know much about Doc Hayward. We got this one scene in, in season three, but maybe finding out more about Gersten or, or Hayward find, uh, uh, or Harriet, excuse me. Well, you already know what the chapters are going to be, so you already know, right? Oh, well, I mean, just the, the chapter titles <laughs> or whatever. No, no. <laughs> Bastard. No, but uh, just expanding upon that, but also, like I said, kind of touching on season three and maybe going a little bit beyond and tying some of his mythology from the secret history with hopefully like Judy and what have you. And I, I would hope that Major Briggs would play a, a big role too. Maybe we'll find out a little bit more about um, his role and what he was pl- he was doing um, in relation to those all those crime scenes in what we got referenced in, in this series, right? His fingerprints were found on all these different crime 16? scenes. 16, right? So maybe kind of like a touching <laughs> on that um, a little bit and like with the zone stuff and all these portals. So I think that this is going to be more successful and popular um, with the Twin Peaks community just because I think it's going to give the fans like what they want and, like I said, hopefully expand upon um, certain mysteries. Uh, did you see that tweet that I think you forwarded it? Somebody tweeted out like a weekly world news from like the 60s or something or 70s and it had Jack, Jack and Gleason sees the aliens. I've seen them and up close. Like, which is in uh, the secret history <laughs> of Twin Peaks. So I want to know, like, did Nixon, like Nixon and like Jackie Gleason, they really hung out and like he took him to area. Did that really, some of that really happen? I think there's a shred of truth there. And I think Frost picked up on it, knew about it and created 
that scenario where Nixon at you know his darkest time toward the end when he's just pouring back the uh, the scotch or whatever invited Jackie Gleason to his uh, to like the, I guess whatever Area 51 was back in uh, the Nixon uh, era and uh, and showed Jackie Gleason which really kind of like on the page at least resembled what we saw in the glass box in the in this series right yeah maybe we need to get some like geniuses to go back and look at all the like pictures of jackie and nixon together in real life and see if there's like any like owl rings on their fingers or something like that well didn't nixon have the owl cave ring in, yeah and the story right? so maybe it really happened and by the That's way great. i retweeted that from your twitter page you actually um uh, well i retweeted it from somebody else so okay. we just, it was i didn't know about it until i read your page yeah okay so the <laughs> final thing that i want to ask you i, I want to ask you but um Maybe at some point down the line, it would be interesting that you and I would devote an entire podcast to a presumptive season four where we talk about what we think or what we would hope uh, or what we want from a season four. Would you be up for yeah, that? Yeah, well, all the questions. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, the questions. <laughs> we want these answered. Yeah. Like, who was on episode two? Who was calling? Who wanted to be with Bob again? That's right up there on the list. But uh, there's a but that obviously would not be in part four. But, uh, yeah, I think that would be a great idea. I would love to do that. Yeah, for me, what, I think the big thing in relation to, like, a season four or whatever we got is the endless possibilities of just the Twin Peaks community itself with the timeline of Laura Palmer not dying. And the class is that what you want to see? Well, I, I'm not saying that that is the the the, the number one thing that I want to see, see, but it would be interesting if, like, instead of who killed Laura Palmer, which was the hook of the original series, that what happened to Laura Palmer, where did Laura Palmer disappear to? Because that obviously I don't think would have the the same like you know emotional weight of who killed her in that community, but um, how the town would react to. Um, Laura Palmer maybe returning after 25 years and her actually not dying and how that would have affected any number of characters. I mean, not only her family, Ben Horn, Bobby, James, Donna, everything. That for me is like fascinating. Maybe that would be something more uh, interesting in like a book form. But I think if they were to go that route, Lynch never wanted to solve the murder originally, that this is maybe a, a way for them to go back and kind of create a whole experience in the Twin Peaks community itself, where Laura Palmer itself wasn't never ki- was never killed, and to create a whole new mystery surrounding that. So that would be something that I would want to see, but not completely, because I'd still want all the esoteric and the stuff that you mentioned as well. Yeah, I almost would be just happy with just like an entire like just. Cooper just blasting through the astral plane and it's all just complete madness. <laughs> There's not even really anything at Twin Peaks anymore. It's just him going out and that's it. Just eight hours of Lynch. I'd sign up for that too, my friend. <laughs> well, on that note, you got anything else? Any last words for this episode? I'm sorry if we didn't really actually get to reviewing a lot of part four because there wasn't a lot of happening. So I hope you guys don't mind our theorizing in between the... Uh, between the actual impact scenes, but uh, anything last, any last words for uh, this episode, my friend? No, I think I've been carrying on too much. I think it's my <laughs> fault that we kind of digressed as much as we did. Well, there wasn't a lot going on. That's what I mean. There, so we try to hit the high points, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll be back. Uh, probably we're going to do part five next week, or maybe do something else. What do you think? Maybe the secret or the new Frost book? Yeah, no, I think if you if we're able to, because I think it's only like 160 pages, and you're going to listen to the audio book that. I'm certainly going to read it probably in one night that um, I would love. It comes out on Tuesday. 
Oh, sweet. Yeah, I think my cop. Oh, yeah. Maybe we could, yeah, next week we could do. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I might. Yeah, I would prefer to do the final dossier. Okay. We might have to do like two podcasts on it because what I would like to do is. Dude, we may have to like take notes though. You know what I'm saying? I can't just listen to it once and just go on the air. I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not sure it would be as detailed. Well, no, because what I want to do is I want to go like chapter by chapter. I mean, I'm not saying go, but like hit on all the high notes. So I think we're going to have to actually do some homework. <laughs> next hour, next, next week's just the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> put an hour to each chapter yeah. in the book. I'll do that. Whatever. Whatever oh, it'd be like kind of very Andy Kaufman-esque, like when he would get on stage yeah. and he would just like kind of read like uh, from Dickens or something like that. Just yeah, I could perform the entire thing like Harriet. It was Laura. And I saw her glowing in the dark woods. I saw her smiling. Well, on that note, uh, yeah, see you guys next week. Thank you.